For the future of agriculture to be more profitable and sustainable at the farm level, we need to find more ways to de-risk new tools and practices for farmers. These are savvy business owners who want to make their farm more profitable, more resilient, and use cutting-edge technology or experiment with new practices to see how they can impact the bottom line of the farm. Incentives for this experimentation do exist and more of them are popping up every day, but they're frustratingly fragmented and burdensome. Jace Hafner and her team at FarmRaise have built a platform that makes it really easy for farmers to access and manage financial incentives. EQIP, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, is the first program that's live on our site today. But we're actually implementing an entire map of incentives programs that farmers can apply to throughout the year. And one we think we can use to help farmers unlock more financial resources to invest in their operation. For Farm Raise, it starts with this simple and user-friendly tool, but the vision is much larger. What's so fascinating about fintech on the farm is how integrated these financial and ecological systems are. And so you really, to be effective, you need to be able to have one foot in both worlds. How Farm Raise is building a company with one foot in each of these worlds on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hammerich, and if you're interested in where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, I think you found the right show. A point we try to drive home as often as possible here is that innovation on its own really just doesn't get us anywhere until it can actually be implemented. For agriculture, that means that the ideas we often talk about here on this show need to actually work for farmers. So for the future of agriculture to be more data-driven or more technological or more regenerative, the tools and practices have to actually be executable on the farm. And for farmers to find out whether they'll work for them or not, they need to be able to experiment with them, to adapt them to their own local context, which is often very risky. Luckily, there are programs out there and more popping up to help absorb some of that risk. A lot of them involve free money in the way of grants or very cheap loans. But to access these programs requires an all too often tedious process of seeing if you're even eligible and then applying and waiting to hear back and then keeping up with ongoing reporting. Lowering these barriers is exactly where farm raise comes in. Jace Hafner is the co-founder and CEO of Farm Raise. And what's interesting about this episode is not only the impact they're currently having for farmers, nearly 10,000 farmers so far and $9 million in funding applications, but also where they hope to take the company next. Today, they offer a freemium model where a farmer can check their eligibility on a handful of programs for free or pay $25 a month to check eligibility on hundreds of programs, apply for them in less than 15 minutes, and receive ongoing support. Jace sees this as just the beginning. This valuable service can grow into many more financial services, including lending, ecosystem services, or even tax support. In the interview, I compare it to H&R Block for Farmers, but she quickly corrects me that probably more like TurboTax is a better analogy, which is fair. FarmRaise just announced that they closed a $7.2 million seed round led by Sousa Ventures, as well as angel investments from some notable people, including former podcast guest Zach Johnson, the millennial farmer. 
In fact, I want to get Zach back on here to talk about angel investments, because I think that's an interesting avenue for farmers like Zach. They also have some really interesting distribution partnerships with Corteva and Cargill and others scheduled to be announced here this year. We're going to talk about that as well. There's really just so much to dive into here, and I think you're going to find this full interview well worth your time. Jace grew up on a livestock farm in Virginia where she saw firsthand how these types of financial incentives can help improve a farming operation. Before Farm Raise, she invested in agriculture with SLM Partners, completed a Fulbright Fellowship in Trinidad and Tobago, and worked on environmental sustainability at Apple. She has an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business and a master's in agriculture from the Stanford School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. Impressive, to say the least. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Jace is talking about some of these financial incentives and how they help facilitate access to these for farmers. So when a farmer accesses a financial incentive from the USDA, primarily the the program that farmers can access today is the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. And this is a financial incentive through the Natural Resources Conservation Service, which is a division of the USDA. And what this funding essentially supports is conservation practices on the farm, and more specifically, investments in farm infrastructure with a conservation outcome. So this can be practices like new fencing that allows the farmer to holistically manage their cattle. It can be riparian buffers for wildlife, cover crops, no-till, all that sort of thing. And so when the farmer wants to apply for those opportunities, they have to complete a pretty rigorous application process, which we've simplified down considerably to 15 minutes. And then when they get that financial incentive, they also have to report out on the expenses and the practices that they're implementing to be able to unlock that USDA funding. So we'll be able to help the farmer on the back end as well to make that a seamless and pain-free process. Great. And, and what they're getting out of the deal is free money, right? I mean, this isn't a loan or an equity stake or anything like that. It's, it's free grant money from the government, right? It's free grant money. And what's really cool about this particular financial incentive is not only is it free, but it's also enabling the farmer to invest in the value of their operation. So increasing organic matter in the soil helps to de-risk the farm. Investing in the infrastructure makes the operation more efficient. And so really, these are practices that are conservation oriented, but can also boost the farm's profitability and make it less risky. And so we see this as such a win-win for the farmer. That's why we initially targeted this program as our initial application. I love it. I, I've heard firsthand from farmers that like, uh, I want the money, but I don't want the headache. And it's almost too much of a headache to bear. Okay. If, if I'm a farmer and I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, number one, you know, between figuring this out myself and having you do it, I'd much rather have you do it. But also, isn't that what like the FSA or the NRCS or both are supposed to be doing for me? The FSA and the NRCS are working to help farmers understand the programs they're eligible for, and they are helping them apply for those programs as well. But the resources out there today are not adequate to cover the needs of the farmer in the application and the management process. So for example, when a farmer is curious if they're eligible for one of these financial incentive programs from the NRCS, the way that they will get to the bottom of that is a lot of times they'll go online 
online and they'll research on Google, am I eligible for EQIP? And they will come to a number of government sites that talk about the EQIP program and provide some government forms that you can use to apply for that program. But there's no clear data on whether you with your particular farming situation are eligible for that incentive. And so then the farmer will say, okay, this looks interesting, but I still don't know if I'm eligible. So they'll end up calling the USDA to ask for help to understand their eligibility. And if they're lucky, they'll get someone, you know, on the first time they try. If not, they'll leave a message and wait for a callback. And that's how they'll get to the bottom of the eligibility piece. And this is for this one particular program. There are a lot of other grant programs, both at the federal and the state level, that require this type of internet research that can be complex and time consuming. So once a farmer, you know, gets a human that tells them, yes, you're eligible for this program, they then have to navigate eight to 12 stacks of jargon-packed paperwork which is not intuitive at all. I, I went through this process for my operation when I was in grad school and I was just overwhelmed by the language and the bureaucracy. And I, again, had to call someone up at the USDA for help navigating that paperwork. Some farmers don't even have an FSA number and they have to set that up first, a farm service agency number. They have to set that up first before they can apply. So it's this whole process. And what ends up happening is a lot of farmers will get in their truck and they will drive you know, 30 minutes to an hour to their local NRCS office and sit down and wait in line for help with the paperwork so they can complete that just to access the grant. Yikes. Well, I, I have no doubt that you're able to make this a whole lot less burdensome than the government, just in my limited experience in filling out any government paperwork whatsoever. But talk about you know the way that you all make money. I understand it's free for a farmer to hop on there and check their eligibility by filling out this 15-minute form. So if I go on, I fill out the form, I find out, oh, I am eligible for programs. Maybe it's Equip, maybe it's something similar. Then I start paying $25 from there if I want to go ahead and submit that form to the government. And then I would keep paying $25 a month if I need the kind of the recurring reporting element. Is that right? That is correct. And there's a lot more to it as well. So EQIP, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, is the first program that's live on our site today. But we're actually implementing an entire map of incentives programs that farmers can apply to throughout the year and an ongoing basis. And so that subscription will support additional grants, cost share, and private capital that farmers will be able to unlock through this common application on FarmRaise. And in addition to that funding roadmap, they also get weekly funding alerts. And these alerts are tagged to our database that we've built over the past 12 months. It's a database of about 1,500 state, local, federal programs with tags in this Airtable database that match to the farmer's profile. So we can send farmers tailored alerts on funding programs that are opening and closing and changing in their regional area on a weekly basis. And so that's part of that subscription as well as making sure that no operator misses out on a funding opportunity. They're in the know. So for essentially, you know, a little over $5 a week, a farmer has farm raised, contract all that admin and research out to us. So we make sure that they're constantly in the loop and don't miss out on a dollar. And what did you have to do to get the government to allow you to make it so easy? It seems like with certain government programs, it's intentionally burdensome. So what did you have to do to get them to allow you to make it so easy? <laughs> well, I think one of the things that's really awesome about the USDA is I, I don't think they're intentionally, you know, trying to make this hard for farmers. I think they really, really care about farmers. We partner really closely with the USDA and 
our efforts. And they are faced with a number of bureaucratic challenges that, you know, I at a startup cannot even imagine, you know, what the challenges they're facing um, in terms of the information they have to collect from the farmers and checking all those boxes. And so the way we've been able to make it easy for the farmer is we know these applications in and out. We know what data needs to be collected. We know what the jargon that the language means. And so we are simplifying the language for the farmer. So it's much easier for the farmer to know exactly what they need to provide. And then two, we are getting rid of duplications. There's a lot of replication and information the government asks the farmer to provide, and we eliminate that. And then moreover, we store securely the farmer's core operational data, legal documents, so that in the future, starting with Equip and moving forward, we can help auto-populate these applications to make every application faster and easier because there is so much replication across different government applications. So the Equip program, what is the average amount of funding that comes out of that program? Like on a grant basis, is there an average or kind of what's possible? Yeah, these financial incentives can be game-changing for farmers because the average amount is around $30,000 per contract. You know, it's no small thing. It can provide some significant infrastructure investments for the farm. And in your case, you mentioned having, you know, your parents being small business owners. And so this $30,000 could be a game changer unless I, I guess if you're like a mega farm, maybe it's not, you know, a big deal. But is that the opportunity here is going to be in kind of the small to medium sized farms? Or, you know, what have you found as you've done this customer discovery? Because it sounds like they need to have two things. Number one, they want to convert to some of these more ecologically friendly practices. And number two, money is likely to be the limiting factor of doing it. Otherwise, maybe they would have done it already. Is that true? And if so, what are you noticing about the types of, of farm-raised customers that you're seeing? Yeah, it's it's wild. So when I first started digging into this market with my co-founder, Sammy, at Stanford, we were amazed to find that there are millions of farm businesses just like mine that are small to mid-sized across the U.S. Over 90% of all farms in the U.S. are, are SMBs, small and mid-sized businesses. And they are struggling, just like us, to grow their margins. And so there's certainly that SMB category that we're seeing common to the farm-raised customer base. But there's also this more intangible element, which is the spirit of our customers and what we're seeing in terms of what they want to implement on their farm. And that common piece is really a desire to invest in research and development and innovation and business development on the farm. These are savvy business owners or savvy startup operators who want to make their farm more profitable, more resilient, and use cutting-edge technology or experiment with new practices to see how they can impact the bottom line of the farm. Interesting. And and one thing that comes up for me as I hear about the number of, of small to mid-sized farms is like, how many of those are not really farms in the like small business owner sense of the word. They are somebody's hobby farm or they're somebody's rural escape and not really farms. I'm not asking you to answer that question because I know it's a very complex thing to answer. But I guess what I'm looking more towards is, has your experience been like the volume of farmers coming out of the woodwork that just want this has been, you know, based on your growth, it would seem like it's been overwhelming. But I think you might have some interesting insight into that. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the breakdown of farms in the U.S., it's amazing to see how many of the farms that are listed in the census are operated by farmers that have a primary occupation that's off the farm itself. And this is interesting because what we're seeing at FarmRaise is 
farmers who are currently operating two jobs full-time. They want to be full-time farmers, but they're usually doing something else as well, like construction work or they're driving a school bus. They have another job and it's not just a side hustle, like they're kind of holding two jobs at the same time. And they're looking to make their farm a viable business so they can make the leap full-time to that farm. That's one key customer segment we're seeing. Another customer segment that we've seen are full-time farm operators. And these are usually the larger small farms to the mid-sized farms that have been in operation across generations and with a generational shift often or with the rise of farmer YouTube influencers, the farmers realizing that there are some really interesting soil health practices that they could innovate with and they want to access capital for that. And so those are the two dynamics we're seeing, you know, that full-time farmer that wants to innovate and the farmer that has two jobs and wants to come full-time to the farm. There's also a third category that we have not been able to serve yet in the way that I envision us being able to in the future. And that is often young folks who want to get into farming and who have just acquired land or who are about to acquire land and looking for help with startup costs. There's less financing opportunities for that category of just beginning farmers, but there's a world of opportunity out there to serve them. And I believe with the COVID pandemic um, and with sort of this rise and interest in agriculture among the millennial and Gen Z folks, we're going to see more and more of that too. Yeah, no, I think that's probably right. You know, I know you all are venture backed. So as you've been having, you know, conversations with VCs, I imagine it's probably come up, okay, 25 bucks a month. You have to get a lot of these farmers paying 25 bucks a month to get to be the size and scale that a VC would hope you would become. Is that true? And if so, what's kind of the response to that? I mean, our vision is instilling vitality in farming communities across America. We aim to be the trusted financial services partner and provider, this full stack financial services provider for farms to not only start up, but also invest in that land and ultimately pass that operation down to the next generation. We have this very ambitious vision and we aim to serve most farms across the U.S. And so the reason we we chose Venture out of all other potential iterations of funding is because we have a very ambitious growth trajectory and scale for this company. And so certainly we and our investors are aiming to acquire, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, a million plus farmers on this platform. We have a vision to get, you know, as much of the farming market as we possibly can. And we see a path toward growth there. I mean, it's been amazing just in the past few months. We've been growing between eight and 10% week over week, pretty much consistently since the summer. And it's because we're able to really speak to that core need that farmers have and work with many different types of operations, you know, across production systems, across geographies, around this core business need. That said, the subscription model is not the only part of, you know, our revenue model at FarmRaise. For some funding programs, we also take a success fee on the back end, you know, only getting paid when the farmer gets paid. And we have some really exciting, you know, financial products in the stack that we're going to be building in in the year ahead, including banking products that, you know, allow the farmer to spend money on a FarmRaise card and collect points while also, you know, FarmRaise can make revenue off of that interchange without any cost to the farmer at all. And there's several other products like that that we're going to be rolling out. So the subscription fee is the wedge. It's the way in. It's a good way for us to test and ensure we're providing value to the farmer. That was really important for us early on, but it's not the whole story. 
And that path to hundreds of thousands or even, you know, over a million farmers, is that still focused in the U.S. or as part of that plan to expand outside of the U.S.? <laughs> Those numbers are coming from the U.S. market. That said, I will say we're very focused on sticking the landing in the U.S. first. Our team has deep-rooted expertise in the U.S. farming market. We have farmers on our team. We're farmers' kids. Like, this is, this is what we know well. That said, once we stick the landing here, we're definitely going to be looking abroad. I, th I mean, I think Canada would make sense as a, a secondary market to enter uh, Brazil. The EU has a number of financial incentive programs that are complicated for farmers to access. So all of those markets are really attractive ones to look at. But we got to do one thing at a time. And we're looking at the U.S. first. I was looking into Corteva's carbon program and I noticed FarmRaise up there as like, you know, they have a carbon credit calculator and then it was like, sign up for FarmRaise and they'll help you kind of execute all the, I thought that was really cool. Are you doing multiple of those partnerships or did I just happen to stumble upon the only one? And has that been a big boom for your business? This is key to our go-to-market strategy. And this is one of the first questions I get whenever I'm pitching FarmRaise to a VC is, you know, how are you reaching farmers? Because there's a lot of understandable skepticism that startups can reach the long tail of farmers out there, especially those that may not be easily accessible through digital marketing or through organic growth. And we thought about that and experimented with that a lot in the early days at FarmRaise. Growth traction is so important to us as a company where you know, you see what is live on our website. And then behind that, we're often running, you know, a, a couple other traction tests to better understand how do we deliver value? How can we create value for farmers? And for us, traction includes product, but it also, you know, growth is really, really essential to that. And we were bullish on a go-to-market strategy that is diversified at FarmRaise. So certainly we've been investing a lot in organic growth. That's how we acquired our first hundreds of customers and SEO and digital marketing. But we knew that to be successful, we also would need a more repeatable and scalable path to growth at FarmRaise. And that's where these agribusiness partnerships come in. And so, yeah, Corteva has been a great partnership for us because we're so mission aligned there and unlocking funding for farmers to implement soil health practices. And this is aligned with their carbon program. We've also announced a partnership with the largest agribusiness company in the world, Cargill, to partner with them to get their farmers funding for conservation and soil health. And we will be announcing a number of additional agribusiness partnerships in the new year that are also along these lines. And what's so cool right now in agribusiness is you're seeing this wave of commitments coming in to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and supply chains. And these leading agribusiness companies are deciding that maybe they don't just want to purchase offsets or maybe they don't want to purchase offsets at all. They actually want to contribute to the solution through reducing emissions directly in their supply chain. And they know that in order to do that, they're going to have to get their farmers funding to assist them with the transition to these you know, more conservation-based farming practices that are win-wins for the farmer in terms of soil health and profitability. And that's where farm raise comes in. That's really interesting. I would have not seen that part of things coming in. Kudos to you for seeing that because essentially what you run into is how many farmers really want the Equip program? Like everybody wants free dollars, but like they can get $30,000 if they really wanted it, right? But 
now that there's carbon markets and, oh, well, I want to sell my carbon. And if I'm going to have to do the practices to sell my carbon anyway, I might as well get some free money from the government. How do I do that in the easiest way possible? Well, there's really only one way and that's farm raise, right? I mean, am I summing that up correctly? Well said. I want to recruit you for our sales team. That's that's very, very well stated. Well, but so, I mean, I didn't really connect all those dots before. And I I think it's a critical part of of your growth. I'm not saying you wouldn't be growing without it, but that's got to be, you know, the Midwest Corteva core customer is a little bit different than the Virginia cattle farmer, diversified farmer, not that one's any better than the other, but they don't necessarily want the same things. And it just seems like this carbon market boom is a farm raise tidal wave. It absolutely is. And it expands our, you know, the farmer that's coming in the door toward that mid-sized farmer category. So you're talking growers with thousands of acres, generally row crop growers with some diversification as well. Often there's a livestock rotation in there, but it's definitely going after that, you know, Midwestern row crop, corn, wheat, soybeans producer that's looking to innovate and invest in their R&D and unlock these carbon markets for their farm. And this stacks on so nicely. So that's a really interesting way to get them in the door. Now to expand to some of this fintech offerings, expanded financial services, I'm curious how you do that, because now you've got multiple customer segments that all have a little bit different needs and a little bit different wants. How do you retain and grow this relationship over time, considering that they're all so different? Absolutely. So it it comes down to uh, standardization of the product in a way that applies across categories and product segmentation where it counts. So for instance, on standardization of product, we've seen common needs across both small diversified and more sort of scaled mid-sized row crop farmers in terms of optimizing their annual tax reporting. That's a common need we've seen. And so tracking expenses and categorizing those expenses and showing visibility into cash flow margins is a common need we've seen across both those categories. And so that cash flow and tax reporting product is going to be one that we see targeting getting both of those segments. Now for the startup farmer, there's a lot of really interesting, I think, innovation that's needed there. Um, we've seen this whole category of farmers who are at the very beginning of their journey, like I mentioned earlier, and they um, not only are looking for funding to start up, but they also need help with a lot of admin on the front end, like just figuring out what type of entity is the right one. Do they want to be in a sole proprietorship? Do they want to be an LLC? How will that affect their ability to optimize their taxes and get that and other financial benefits down the line? Forming that entity as a piece, setting up farm service agency record, setting up a banking relationship, all those things are more towards the starting farmer category. And so that's how we're going to continue to retain these farmers. And then, of course, in an ongoing way, these farm funding opportunities that are in our database and targeted to these specific categories, ensuring that we get those opportunities in front of, you know, the segment of farmers to which they most resonate and that most need these funding opportunities. And you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, you talking about beginning farmers and then just in what you were just talking about. But when, when I first talked to you, and it's been over a year now, I instantly saw this need to help with the government grants. It's like, okay, it's free money. It's right there. It's hard to get. If you can help on, that's awesome. Where else do you see the opportunities like that that you might go in the future? Anything that we haven't talked about yet? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, farm taxes, this is huge. The Schedule F and optimizing that Schedule F. Today, most farmers are not adequately tracking their expenses in a way that accounts for the categorization and that Schedule F, as well as state-level tax credits. There are a number of states that offer financial incentives for doing conservation practices. So for those farmers who don't apply for a grant or who don't get a grant, they could still benefit from you know, a tax-based financial incentive through a tax credit if they tracked the expenses that they incur related to conservation. And that's just one example. But there are a number of other you know, tax opportunities that come into play when you're talking about the farm business. And what it comes down to is tracking those expenses in a meticulous way so that when it comes time for tax season, the farmer has an expertly categorized list of all their different business expenses that they can hand to their accountant and say, make sure that I get my max refund here because I've tracked these things. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, in a way, as it stands right now, this isn't necessarily where you're going, but as it stands right now, you're you're sort of the H&R block of <laughs> like, you know, farm sustainability. TurboTax, maybe a little bit more like TurboTax. <laughs> All right. TurboTax. But yes, yes. I mean, we are, we're leveraging tech to make a painful process much more, you know, clear, transparent for the farmer and saving them time for sure. And that's our wedge. And we aim to, you know, do so much more beyond that. But that's such a crucial wedge because it's just such a pain point at the farm level, similar to us having to file our taxes every year. Right, right. All right. I'll use the TurboTax one. I'll, I'll cut the H&R block. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and actually what prompted me to reach back out to you, because I'd had it on the back of my mind for a long time, but this question sort of came up, will there be an increasing need for basically farm sustainability data managers, essentially the equivalent of a CPA for sustainability because of the increased legislation that's happening, not just in the US, but in Europe for sure, in Canada for sure, in Australia, to help farmers sort through the sustainability requirements. And right now it's it's kind of fun because it's money. In the future, it may be more like regulation. And this is a little bit different than the vision you're casting though. I mean, the vision you're casting is more like fintech lending money. I'm wondering if there might be an equally large opportunity more on, you know, this sort of like sustainability metric data management. And I I don't know, maybe the two aren't as divergent as they seem to me as I say them. Oh, what's so fascinating about fintech on the farm is how integrated these financial and ecological systems are. And so you really, to be effective, you need to be able to have one foot in both worlds. And with the financial incentives like Equip that we're helping farmers get, there's such a need in the reporting process to categorize those environmental practices as conservation practices and their outcomes at the field level and to show that those practices are happening as part of participating in that financial incentive program. And so with that hook, we are seeing this massive opportunity as part of our product to help farmers develop conservation resumes at the farm level. One, first and foremost, to report out on that grant because that's the number one need, but to position the farmer to be really competitive 
to access additional incentives and to more seamlessly report on those incentives in the future as well, whether they be carbon markets, whether they be additional USDA funding programs as you know the pool is expanded or new programs that stack on top of EQIP. You know, CSP, the Conservation Stewardship Program, is another example of a program that stacks on top of EQIP that farmers can access even today. And then you're talking about this flood of, you know, what is it, like $50 billion in assets under management in private capital with the regenerative agriculture focus that is coming into play. You know, just over the past few years, we've seen this emergence of impact capital coming into the space. And so having one place where farmers are storing the information on the practices they're implementing and the practices they intend to implement is really powerful. And one we think we can use to help farmers unlock more financial resources to invest in their operation. Do you think that money is the barrier to farmers converting from conventional to regenerative practices? Certainly one barrier, Tim, but it takes a team of teams. The financial access piece is huge, as you've seen and heard from farmers, as I've, I've seen and, and lived. But there's a lot of other pieces there, too. There's this element of mentorship and education that is so critical to that transition and really any type of innovation and business development on the farm. And this is a really clear need that we've seen among our customer base. And we've been thinking about it a lot. You know, how do we connect beginning farmers with skilled farmers who are wrestling with similar questions and looking for that mentorship and education support? I think it really accounts for the rise of the farmer YouTube influencers who, you know, like Greg Judy, who are showing farmers through video ways to um, transition to these, you know, more innovative or soil health building practices. There's just a big need for that type of support. So I'd say financial access is huge, but we definitely can't discount the mentorship and education piece too. All right. You, you brought up YouTube a couple of times. I know content marketing is a big part of your strategy. How are you going about that? What's working? What's not working? Yeah. Zooming out, we knew that to be successful building a software product for farmers, we needed to do more than build a beautiful product. We needed to build a product that resonated really well with farmers. And so UX is super important. I mean, as you've probably seen across ag tech, we have a lot of improvement opportunity in terms of our UX. And we have a lot of opportunity to improve on that, even at FarmRaise, I believe. And we're getting better at that. But there's this other layer that I think is even more essential, which is making the farmer feel less alone when they're using the product and having them have that reassurance that they're supported, that there is a human behind that product and that, you know, they have a support team there. And so embedding human faces and video and our product to make the user experience easier, to make the farmer feel supported, enabled, and also connecting with them in a medium that we've seen being a path toward, you know, stickiness and traction when it comes to sharing ideas and products in the farming community. YouTube is where it's at. We've leaned into that really hard at FarmRaise and embedded video in our product, but also use that as part of our ability to to engage our community. You know, we now have thousands of farmers on our platform and we're generating content for them weekly, often in the form of video to enable their development as business owners and operators and to make a, you know, sort of a human-based exchange of knowledge. One of our first checks in the door, one of our first investors um, is Jake Gibson and his partner, Sheil Monat. Jake is one of the uh, 
founders of NerdWallet. And he has been coaching us so much on the NerdWallet approach to bringing in customers, to engaging customers through content. And that video piece is so key to engaging farmers. Awesome. Well, the show, as you know, is called Future of Agriculture. You know, what's something that's going to be a increasingly large part of the future of agriculture in the coming decades that maybe we're not talking enough about? Hmm. I think the question of shared farm ownership and, you know, joint farm ventures, I'm looking at so many millennials in this pandemic who have moved out of typical, you know, sort of tech or or job hubs like SF or New York and have moved out across the United States and have bought houses together. And I am very curious to see what happens with that in terms of farms. Are we going to see more jointly owned farms, more LLCs and sole proprietorships? And What could that mean for the future of farming and for the future of farm labor? I think Sarah Mock talks about this a lot in her book, Farm and Other, Farming and Other F-Words. And I think it's a super interesting vision and one that um, based on the trends I'm seeing with the farmers we're talking with and the startup farmers, I think we're going to see more and more of as a shared farm model. So we'll see. I'm curious. Absolutely. All right. Shout out to Sarah Mock, another former podcast guest. I'm actually reading her book currently, and I've had thoughts about it uh, just in this interview several times, you know, in terms of the various financial needs of farmers out there based on circumstance. So very cool, Jace. I really love this interview. Anything we didn't get a chance to talk about, though, that you were hoping to cover before I let you get on with your busy day? Oh, I think I think that we've covered it. It's a pleasure to be with you, Tim. Thank you so much for you know this conversation. Yeah, no, thank you. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of interesting stuff here, and I'm I'm sure glad to see kind of the niche that you all are carving out. I think it's a critical one, but also one that positions you well for the future. So I'm excited to to watch for continued updates from you. Thank you, Tim. We we consider you a farm raise part of our team as well, and we'll definitely keep you in the loop. And yeah, really excited for for what's coming down the pike. I think we are seeing a lot of you know interesting, like you alluded to, the sustainability data piece is going to be something that I think will be fascinating. Well, what a fun and fascinating interview there with Jace Hafner at FarmRaise. Learn more about everything they're up to over at FarmRaise.com. As you heard Jace and I mention there, we actually connected a little bit over a year ago, and it's been so exciting to see all of their progress. Jace also told me she spent a lot of time listening to this podcast as she was hatching the idea that would eventually become farm raise. And that's really been one of the most rewarding parts of doing this podcast is interacting and supporting either directly or indirectly early stage founders. If that's you, if you're in the early days of building a startup in ag, I'd love to connect with you further. Send me an email, tim at aggrad.com or a DM on either LinkedIn or Twitter. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. 